We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. We're back. All right, welcome in to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Spencer and with Lee as well for our first episode, I guess, of the regular season, if you want to call it that. Brian is busy doing some work stuff, some house stuff. I think he just bought a new house in Raleigh. Spencer, you're about to close on a home. And I, uh, to let everyone else know too, like we're in the process of looking. So I guess Lee's the only one left that needs to go buy a new house. Lee, is that in the plans anytime soon? Yeah, I I didn't catch the memo. I didn't know the the whole BuzzBeat pod was just, uh, you know, making some real estate transactions this month. But I got got to step my game up. (laughs) You do, you do. We we could just pause all these transactions and do like the uh, the famous YouTubers, you know, just all go in a house together. That's right. And then then all the BuzzBeat fans could just get live time updates of, of our daily lives. I'm sure everyone would be into that. So yeah, like a Charlotte Hornets, Charlotte Hornets like TikTok house. I yeah, think exactly. That would go over, exactly. I think that TikTok would go over really well. That's what we're missing here. Yeah. So. I am not looking forward to the packing, and I know that Spencer, you just did that. Like, was that how? Like, how many weeks? How many days? Like, how long did that take to start packing up these things? And I know it was a process. You know, it's so I moved to Charlotte in in eighteen. December of 18 from Richmond and we lived in an apartment at the time. And I actually thought that was a more difficult process than this has been. I think this is our first house. I think what I would say is that when you move into your first house, you actually store more things. So when you get, that's what I've learned. So when you get ready to make that second move from a house to another house, it's like there's, you're, you're taking more stuff with you, but more of it's stored, if that makes sense. So it's not as much packing. Um, My wife probably wouldn't agree, but that's, that's been my experience. (laughs) And I'm sure I've got a lot more to do today and tomorrow than I even realized. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exciting, but also stressful at the same time. And I'm I'm looking forward to, to buying a new house, but I'm not necessarily looking forward to the actual move. But we're going to jump into today's pod. We're going to give our outlook on the 21-22 Charlotte Hornets team. We're going to break this episode kind of like into two different sections. The first half of the podcast, we're just going to be talking about specific 
individual players in the second half of the podcast. We're going to be looking at the team as a whole, and we've got different kind of categories and topics that we're going to run down here. So, uh, Lee, I'm actually going to pass it to you first. Uh, when it comes to the newcomers on this team, whether it's free agents or rookies, which specific one are you most excited about for the upcoming season? All right, so I actually, this was, I actually thought pretty hard about this one, and I think my answer could potentially be a little surprising because I've been, um, I guess, like, I, I think I've been rationally critical of this player, but I'm also, like, kind of secretly really pumped to and have really talked myself into him, and that's James Booknight. I, I just think with kind of his ability as as, as kind of like a, a – I wouldn't necessarily say elite athlete, but, like, kind of an elite functional basketball athlete with the way he is able to slash in the lane. And, um, and, and obviously I've talked about how I don't love the fact that he over dribbles at time and I'm a little worried about the shooting and all this, but the, the point I'm trying to make here is essentially that in the summer league, he was obviously asked to do way too much on ball creation. He's looked like orders of magnitude, more comfortable in my opinion, in the preseason as kind of more of a, secondary or tertiary playmaking option, particularly like in transition and attacking closeouts. And then you also factor in that I think his role is going to be really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously Malik Monk is not on this roster anymore. We kind of depended on him as a change of pace, like shake things up when he comes into the game. There are multiple games last year where, where Monk and Bridges entering the game in the second unit completely changed like the, the, the vibe of, of a certain contest. Um, we talked a lot about how the starters got off to slow starts last year. So, so essentially what I'm saying is I think the role that Book Knight could potentially fill if he plays well would be incredibly important for this team. Um, so although I've been cautiously optimistic, I also think there's a huge chance and opportunity for him. Yeah, I would agree. And I think uh, that backup unit is desperately needing backup shooting guard position. When he did play with more of the starters or players that are, you know, NBA quality, instead of playing in the summer league where uh, it's it's sloppy play and you're playing with lesser talent, it's kind of hard to judge a player because he's going to be asked to do things that he's not normally going to do on the NBA level. He is trying to find his kind of comfort zone there. And I think he's a player that if he does play well in his rookie season, I think that's going to bode well for the Charlotte Hornets and their success. Um, I I guess the one thing is like, yeah, if he's playing with players that he is going to be that secondary or tertiary player, I think he's going to do fine and he's going to fit right in. But like, you know, Brego doesn't do wholesale changes by any means. But if he is playing with mostly second unit players, will you see him pound the rock a little bit too much and try to do too much. That's, that's I guess, the one worry that I have of him. But, yeah, I'm excited to see him come. He's not my answer by any means, but that's a good choice there. Yeah, I mean, quickly on book night, you know, I, I think he looked, you know, scoring the bat, his scoring instincts, you know, we got to see those in, in the preseason. You know, the assist numbers didn't look great, but I, I think mostly the <laughs> – the players we got to see on the court in preseason, uh, I mean, it was easily one of the worst offenses in the NBA in that small four-game sample. Um, so, yeah, I, I mostly liked what I saw from Book Knight. He, he's comfortable in the pick and roll. You know, he's already got the, you know, get the guy on his hip, you know, keep the keep the dribble alive and, you know, in the middle of the floor. Um, it's just making the play from there is, is really where he's got to polish it up. You know, the, the dribble looks still really high to me. I mean, he's got to, he's got to clean that up, lower center of gravity when he's in traffic. Uh, and then the shooting, I mean, we've talked about that, but 
a poor shooting preseason pretty much across the board for the Hornets, really. But, um, you know, Book Knight, I think he was like 20% from behind the arc. I mean, he his shot just continues to be very inconsistent, you know, whether it's on the catch or off the dribble. I think he's more comfortable taking it off the dribble mm-hmm. um, right now. At least that that's, the, that's what I see on the eye test. But, look, he's going to have to play a role for this team this year. He's going to have to come off the bench and score the basketball. And, and in terms of scoring, again, we saw that in the preseason, so – I'd say for a rookie, you know, good early signs. My answer to this question, Richie, is Kelly Oubre. So I'm, I'm interested to see what you say. I, I just think, like, said this enough now, he gives the team more than anything else just a defensive, a, a versatile defensive wing that I think, you know, can play two through four, basically. Uh, the Hornets aren't going to be able to go big a lot, uh, but they can start, you know, I, I'm – I'm picturing lineups later in the season where if he has a hot hand, if he's helping them on both ends, you know, you finish with PJ at five and you can put Uber at four. Right. And then obviously his, uh, you know, his natural position will be the three, but he just gives this team something they didn't have last season defensively, an athletic wing. Who's, who's a real ball stopper to me with his length, like more so than a guy like miles bridges who took a big step last year, but Uber is just a different kind of like pterodactyl defender when he's locked in. Uh, with with his wingspan, his length, so uh, I'm I'm really excited to see him. We really didn't see any of him hardly in preseason, yeah. so um, you know it's still kind of a mystery for for Hornets fans. Much like I was just saying about Book Nine, I mean, you know, for Ubre, it's the catch and shoot numbers. They've been almost average, maybe slightly below league average. Uh, I think at his best in his NBA career last season in Golden State, it was really not good at all. I don't think he was a good fit in that read and react system. You know, I think he's I think he's going to be a fine fit in Charlotte. It's it's not quite as uh, like I said, read and react as the system he was in last year. Um, I think he's going to be a good transition fit with Miles Bridges and, and Lamelo Ball. So it, his athleticism, I think, is just so so vital to this team. Um, and is going to allow them to to play up tempo on really both ends, which is the way this team wants to play. So I think it's a real tool for Borrego. And I'll be interested to see, you know, if he's just a guy that comes off the bench all year, assuming that the Hornets um, are healthy, or you know, does he really overperform and 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 earn his way a, a starting spot at some point? Obviously, he'll play in the starting lineup at some point because of injuries. But I'm really excited about Ubre. I think he can help Charlotte. I think this is a good fit. Yeah, I'm kind of lukewarm on him. I do like the fit. Like, I think that the defense is desperately needed. Um, the athleticism, the the rangingness, the, the ability to switch and have those versatile players out there because Hornets clearly need help on that side of the court. Uh, offensively, that's where I'm a little bit more, like, less confident that he's going to be that big of an impact there. His three-point shooting has never really been a thing and like you said he's kind of been below average there I think what we saw in preseason was and, and Lee I think you and I even talked about it after the game one of preseason like we'd like to see him cut a little bit more often I, I get that it was just one game into preseason but it felt like he had the ball in his hands a little bit too often yeah I think the transition game is going to uh, affect him perfectly and I think that's where he can fit in a little bit better uh, than say some of his other stops in his previous career so so yeah I like Ubre as well but I'm just a little bit more lukewarm on him uh, Lee I'll let you get to, to Kelly Ubre if you have any thoughts on him but the player that I want to bring up it's funny we all have three different answers on terms of who we're most excited about mine's Ish Smith I just like the hometown connection I like the play style fit the, the pace, the playmaking, you know, obviously he's going to be filling in for Devontae Graham. Their, their games differ very, very much in terms of like what they're going to provide for the team. And I think 
with Devontae Graham, yes, he has the three-point shooting and the gravity there, but he didn't put any pressure in the paint uh, or at the rim, really. So Ish Smith, I think, can do that for this team, and that's going to open up a lot for this team because, you know, when Devontae was there, if he was making his threes, that's great, but the fact that he had a hesitancy to get inside the paint, it kind of uh, hampered the offense at times, and it didn't collapse the defense, so. Yeah, no, I, I think you guys laid out the cases for Ubre and Smith pretty well. Those were those were the other two guys I had written down just in you know to see who you guys would take and then you know talk about. I think I think the Ubre point's really interesting because you know we've kind of just got this like gaggle of like versatile, lengthy wings now. Kind of depending on how you characterize PJ Washington, but whether you include him or not. You know, Ubre, Hayward, Bridges, McDaniel's are kind of just this. Um, you know, like I said, just this group of long rangey skilled wings that gives Borrego a lot of flexibility with lineup configuration, and I'm hopeful that translates particularly into a little bit more defensive efficiency. Um, and then, yeah, for Ish, I mean, I've, I've, I think I've said it multiple times on this podcast. Like, I, I love Ish Smith. Um, you know, he's obviously limited and I do worry a little bit about a book night ish Smith kind of backup backcourt and, and some of the limitations there that we've like already talked about with both players seeing exactly how that fits, particularly offensively. So, so, you know, it is not without concerns, but ish Smith is just like a professional serviceable backup point guard. Um, I think, uh, an upgrade, um, that the Hornets have kind of desperately needed as they've searched for that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of third option ball handler um, for the past couple of years. One quick thing on Ubre, I didn't mention, uh, it might be the most important thing I think he brings to the Hornets scheme is just allowing them to play more traditional. Uh, they're going to switch. Like this isn't going to be a man-to-man fight through screens defense. I think yep. if you watch this team, you understand that. But it's not going to be as junky is what I'm trying to get at, um, where it's like a true matchup zone, something you'd see in college, or those two threes after timeout. I think Brego's still going to do a lot that a lot of zone after timeout. But Ubre just will allow this team to just switch, just just switch ball screens, all that without having to junk it up so much. Um, Ish Smith, I, I mean, I. I think he's going to be a very steady backup point guard. Uh, he's not going to beat you. Obviously, you guys have touched on his limitations. Um, I think one of the things we really learned uh, in the preseason, we, sh- we should have, I, I should have known this beforehand, but it was just so damn obvious in preseason, is this bench has got no shooting at all. <laughs> and uh, and I think this will be a problem with this Smith. Um, right. Bragg is going to have to mix and match because, you know, LaMelo can get into the lane with his length and see over the top and, and spray it out to shooters. Smith can just get in there with his speed, right, with his first step. Is he going to be out, have anyone to throw it out to that can make a shot? I mean, poor Jalen McDaniels look awful yeah. in preseason. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's kind of the, the, the corner sniper hope, I think, maybe deep second unit guy. I mean, you look down the, the rest of the bench unit and you're just like, where is the shooting? So that's the one thing that really concerns me with ish and the half court and how that's going to function. I I think they're going to really have to push the pace that second group. And just real quickly here, which newcomer do we think is going to make the biggest impact? So it doesn't necessarily have to be the same answer that you just gave. And this is another one I thought about Lee. I kept going back and forth and there's a part of me that wants to say Mason Plumley because you and I talked about him being a guy that was a little bit underwhelming in preseason, but also needing that time to kind of fit in with the roster and stuff like that. And last season, 
the center position was definitely a position of need. I still think it's kind of thin as it is, even though there's a lot of uh, bodies there. I think when it's all said and done, he's a guy that will kind of replicate a lot of what Zeller did with his playmaking, his rebounding, his screen setting, and he's more dependable than Cody is. So do you guys have a different answer for that? Like which player do you think is going to be the biggest impact player of all the newcomers? I, I think Plumley could be the answer here, Richie, mostly because you know, I brought this up <clears throat> with Nate Duncan on his pod, but I'm like, if you just take the Plumley minutes, or excuse me, you take the Bismack minutes from last year and you just give them to the Plumley, and then you put a, a qualifier into those minutes saying Plumley's just going to be available for like 75-ish games because he has been traditionally, um, I think that makes such a huge difference for this team because you're not going to be a, you know, a negative 10 net rating in those minutes that you're giving to Plumley, as we were with Biz, who played you know almost 1,400 minutes last season. So that's whether Plumley's like average bad or just slightly below average bad. He's still not going to be as bad as Biz in those minutes. So he might be the most important newcomer just from that perspective. I still think the the answer here is Ubre. I just think he changes the way this team can play defensively so much that he's the most important guy. Yeah, I, w- I would actually say Ubre too. Although the, the the argument I think for Plumley is super rational because I mean he's he's obviously probably going to start. I mean mm-hmm. from at least at least from what we've seen from Borrego in the preseason, and as you guys just intelligently laid out, like the 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 center minutes last year. I mean we've said it a million times. Like Zeller basically kind of treaded water. Bismack was just you know, we, we hemorrhaged points when Bismack played. Um, and then the PJ at the five lineups were, were obviously super productive. So, but, but I agree. I, I, I think I would slightly lean towards Ubre too, um, for, for all the reasons we've kind of already talked about. And one last thing on Plumlee, Richie, like if you watch the Memphis game in, in general, and I think the league is going to start to trend back in this direction, there's more bruising center teams now. And, and this is just the reason that the Hornets have got to – They've got to get real center minutes. Those PJ minutes are productive on paper, but there are just nights where, I mean, we got out-rebounded by Memphis by like 30, mm-hmm. right? And it was just, I mean, over and over and over again, Steven Adams just keep it. So at some point, the Hornets have got to reel back on that strategy. I know the numbers bear it out that it looks good, but at some point we got to get real center minutes. So again, to your Plumley point, maybe he is the most important. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, they're just thin there, and they're, they're going to play small. So I, I think that's something that they're probably not going to have a lot of success in when it comes to rebounding. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's transition to LaMelo uh, in terms of his importance to this team. But also, I guess more importantly, you know, we obviously know that he's going to be a big impact player. A lot of the weight is going to be on him. Devontae's out of the picture now. So, like, all eyes are on LaMelo heading into this season. But if you were to pick a couple things that he needs to improve upon for this upcoming season, and, and maybe those skills translating to the team's success you know, what are those items? Like, what are those items that you're looking out for, for Lamella? Because I went on another podcast earlier this week or last week, and I kind of hinted at this. I I think defensively, he's at a lower level than he is offensively. But for the team, like, if he makes any kind of realistic jumps on the defensive side of the court, I'm not sure it's going to put this team over the hump. I think he still needs to improve offensively when it comes to his three-point shooting uh, because the way that teams do defend LaMelo, I would just go under every single time and force him to take that shot because if you do go over those screens, he's going to get into the paint, and that's where he's at his best, where he's going to find cutters and open shooters, and he's got that 15-foot floater. So I think if he can get better from behind the arc and make that more of a weapon for him and also finishing better around the rim, I think that's going to do more good for the Hornets than, um, say, if he improves on the defensive side of the court because Lee and I discussed this on the last podcast. Like He does need to improve his on-ball stuff, navigating the screens. But is that going to go a long way in helping the Hornets? Maybe, maybe not. But I think offensively, clearly he's got the playmaking. Clearly he's got the vision. And, you know, that's where he excels. But I think offensively he still needs to make a couple more jumps for this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, defensively, I, I think LaMelo just has to pick his spots smarter. You know, he, he's going he's gonna to gamble. He's going to go for steals. He's going to leave his man in, in random situations and try to sneak from behind and, and rip it out right. or get into the passing lane uh, more times than not. So, you know, it's just being more strategic about that kind of stuff, not leaving your teammates out to drive. Talked about that numerous times with him. I, look, it fits right into the scheme. Hornets want to be aggressive. They want to run, so they're going to have to take chances defensively, and that's what LaMelo does naturally, so that's fine. It's good. So but I, I just think just from where I sit, just – don't hurt your team in the process, which I think he still does a lot of offensively. You know, the more I watch LaMelo, I I just think, and I've, I've really been keying in on this in the preseason and it's not fair to LaMelo because he's played with a ragtag group here in the preseason, but I really don't believe he's like this high pick and roll playmaking hub kind of, kind of player like a Trey Young and of course not like Trey Young and LaMelo Ball physical profile is very very different but like I would like to see LaMelo still become a better off-ball player a better cutter can James Borrego post him up more right like like any way you can get LaMelo into the middle of the floor or the short corner with the basketball he's going to set somebody up with a really good shot he's going to spray it out now the offense is humming but in the preseason I saw a lot of just high pick and roll as you were saying, Rich, the defense goes under. The ball's going side to side. Mm-hmm. It's not going north and south. You know, that's where I think Borrego, and he's a great offensive coach. We've seen that. But he's got to put LaMelo, I think, in some more advantageous situations with the ball 
where LaMelo can really draw that second defender. You know, out, outside of just pick and roll, going downhill against a loaded defense, which we saw all preseason, and nothing good happens out of that. And LaMelo is not, you know, he's, he's, he's still a second-year player, right? He doesn't know how to beat that quite yet. Uh, not many players in the NBA that do. So, and the last thing I would say is just shot selection. <laughs> you know, th- there's, there's still some 15 seconds on the shot clock, you know, four feet behind the three-point line, like uh, – what what <laughs> was that yeah but that kind of goes back to the defensive thing too just just a little bit more strategy thinking your way through the game um but i think that my takeaway from preseason really is borrego how is he going to get creative in putting lamello closer to the basket with the basketball he he has a matchup whether it's his man guarding him or you get him a, some kind of flex screen with a, with a guard on him i mean he's gonna make a pass to a teammate uh, in a in a in a great situation. So let's just let's explore some other things outside of just pick and roll with him him as the ball handler. All right, this is such a such a fascinating conversation. I think with Lamelo, there's two super obvious things um, that I probably don't even need to mention. But one is, you know, he played he played 51 games last year. Um, Lamelo's still a young, thin not necessarily frail, but just kind of light teenager. Um, So this is obvious, but like LaMelo has to stay healthy, particularly because as we've talked about on this podcast, the front office pushed all the chips in for Mm. better or worse as, as um, you know, kind of this hopeful, but young budding superstar as a playmaking engine for this team. And I think Spencer's exactly right. I think there hopefully will not be a tendency to kind of bog down this offense with just, you know, vanilla, high spread pick and roll. I think this offense is at its best um, when it's when it's driving and kicking and the ball is popping around. And that's kind of the, the offense we've gotten used to um, over the last year and a half with the Charlotte Hornets. Like a, like a, a very attractive shot profile, good, good ball movement, intelligent off-ball cutting and like space filling. I do think the shooting is going to be really interesting to watch. I think it would be fair to say – that LaMelo at 35% from beyond the arc on about five attempts a game was probably ahead of schedule. Yeah. Um, Will that improve? Will that maintain? Or will he take a small step back um, as more defensive focus is on him? That's going to be important, I think, because if teams can't, like Spencer was just alluding to, if they can't just, like, completely clog the lane or go under screens on him, if they have to play a little closer to Melo, that's when all the other stuff is unlocked. And that's when he gets into the lane and he sprays it or he makes a creative finish. The point of attack defense is going to have to get better. That's every young point guard that's ever entered the NBA, probably besides Chris Paul. I do think his off-ball defensive anticipation is going to be a quality of his that continues to shine and improve. And then I think the other, my last point here, something we haven't really talked about, LaMelo was not always in closing lineups last year. There was a fairly consistent pattern of closing games with Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. Great point. And, and, and that's not going to be the case. I mean, LaMelo is going to have to close games this year. So that's something that I think we haven't necessarily hit on yet, and it's kind of a double whammy because the Hornets' offensive and defensive rating last year – were a bit masked by their clutch play. The Hornets, for the last two seasons now, have been just kind of ridiculously awesome in the clutch. 
And if we don't sustain that and the offensive and defensive rating doesn't improve at like a fairly significant margin, where are they making that difference up? So I am bullish, incredibly bullish on LaMelo. I think he's one of the most valuable young assets in the league. He's maybe the most valuable asset the Hornets have ever had. But there are certainly some places where he's going to have to step up this season. It's Yeah, it's my biggest uh, point of pessimism with this team this year is late in games, Lee. I mean, you nailed it there. It was, it was a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, it, the, the end-of-game offense is going to look it's going to look different, it, it, and I don't know where the consistent scoring is going to come from um, without, to your point, without Devontae Graham out there to attract that defensive gravity. You know, Terry Rozier is going to get swallowed up. And are we going to live with 16-foot, 15-foot LaMelo ball floaters at the end? I, I, this just No, it's not as efficient of a shot as Graham and Rozier were able to produce the end of game. So, you know, the end of games in the NBA in clutch situations is as close to a playoff feel as you're going to get, right? So the Hornets are going to run up and down and look great through three-and-a-half quarters, three-quarters on some nights, and you're going to get to those last five or six minutes. You're like, what in the, what is this? It's going to look like, a you know, a clogged pipe. And so, yeah, it, it's – the clutch performance is going to is going to decline this year. The level to which it declines, and how much how much room the Hornets are able to make up in the other three and a half quarters is the is the story of the entire season. Hey, if you lose by seventy, there's no clutch minutes, so you can you can think about it that way. <laughs> All right, we'll be, uh, yeah, we'll be pushing for that seven fifty nine Bobcats record if that's the case this year. Yeah, and the only the only last little I, I do think Ball, Rozier, Hayward, Bridges, Washington. I do think that is an awesome closing lineup. And I think that probably will be the go to closing lineup. And yeah. that'll be something we'll we'll talk about a ton, I'm sure, throughout the season. But even though I love that lineup, it's still it's there's still some questions that remain. I think shooting in general, like you say, shooting Spencer at the second unit, I just think shooting in general is going to be somewhat of an issue this year. I think Devontae Graham is going to be missed in that aspect. All right, transitioning to Miles Bridges because he's always linked with LaMelo Ball. Uh, In terms of his upcoming season, obviously we've been talking about whether or not he's going to get the extension, but just in terms of like his play last season and moving into next, will he kind of come back down to earth a little bit? Will he continue to make those strides building off of last season, building off the preseason? Many people overlooked or maybe underestimated some of the jumps that Bridges made last season. I, I really do, especially from a national perspective. Like he literally made improvements in ball handling, off the dribble playmaking, off the dribble shooting, three-point shooting just in general, on-ball defense. I think that's something that we've talked about in the past is defensive side of the court. Off-ball defense, he made less errors there. Rebounding, like, et cetera. He made so many strides last year. So, in terms of the upcoming season, I don't actually don't see him making that big of a, like, a tremendous growth or step there. But it's probably because I've already seen it happen last year. Maybe the national media might kind of realize what he's doing on that, on both ends of the court. So, yeah, in reality, I don't, I don't think strides are going to be made. People just... You know, just couldn't see it last year. I think that it's it's one of those things when you're playing in Charlotte, you don't have a lot of eyes on you. But Bridges made a lot of you know subtle improvements, basically in almost any category. But again, I don't I also don't think he's going to take a step back by any means. I think his third season last season was definitely not an anomaly by by any chance. So, Lee, what do, what do you think about Miles Bridges in terms of his strides and you know where he's going to end up this year? Uh, yeah, I'll keep this one fairly short and sweet. I am like, 
I'm, I couldn't be more in on Miles Bridges, yeah. and I'm potentially setting myself up for disappointment as a Hornets fan. But, and I've said this a couple times, but like his first couple off seasons, he improved, but by a fairly, I think, like small margin, like two two percent, three percent improvement. I think to your point, Richie, last off season he made like a ten to twelve percent improvement. I mean, you said it, the defense the efficiency. I mean, you look at basically any number you want across the board and he had a career season. He also not necessarily out of nowhere, but like all of a sudden became this kind of rotating help side rim protector too, which was awesome to see because the Hornets need rim protection anywhere they can find it. Yeah, him, um, him and PJ did that, I feel like. Both him and PJ improved his rim protectors, absolutely. Like I'm starting to get to the point where I think Miles Bridges can can be you know, this is a very ballpark number, but like, I don't know, like a top 50 to 60 player in the NBA. I don't think that's insane by any means. Um, so I'm just like all in on Bridges as a, a not, maybe not another 10 to 12% improvement, but like a 5% improvement. And then just, just his, obviously his archetype is incredibly valuable. I think the shooting is real. Him as just like the the second most important development story besides, of course, Lamelo Ball. I'm I'm all in on the on Miles Bridges. I'll put it this way: if Miles Bridges was a stock, I wouldn't be worried about the fact that it it has like reached its all time high. I think Miles Bridges still has a lot of room to run. Um, if you were like comparing him to an equity. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm with Lee here. I, I, I really don't think I could be any more bullish. And he's, and he's 23. He's 23. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I could be more bullish on Bridges either. He, he is kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type of player. Um, saying that, though, you know, the, the 40% outside shooting last year, if he can stay in, in between 38 and 42% from the outside, like he's – and, and just chips away at the playmaking, chips away at that, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an above-average cutter. I'm a destroyer of rims. You, I can, you can put me in the pick and roll. I can catch it in the short roll, like do stuff there. Like, he's a, there's low-level all-star potential there for sure to me. But, yeah, like Lee said perfectly, I, I also feel like maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm starting to set myself up a little bit here. Uh, and, and obviously there's the looming – uh, I, I guess maybe you'll be listening to this podcast after this deadline is passed potentially, but you know the Hornets have as we're recording this at nine twenty on a Saturday morning. They've got uh, you know within a forty eight hour window here of whether they're going to give an extension to Miles Bridges. Uh, I put some feelers out there, um, just some national people that I know, and and the consensus I've gotten is that there will be no deal here. Um, I think that Miles Bridges and, and Clutch. Uh, as we we should all know a little bit about Clutch and how they represent their clients now, it's going to be hard to come, uh, you know, I think to an agreement. And Michael Bridges, you know, has still not gotten the extension, which I think is the domino that maybe both parties are waiting to fall. The players aren't the same, but similar enough uh, to where that would kind of set the market price. So I think it's fine for Shaw to let this thing play out, but to, to Lee's point and what I'm trying to say, I'm just bullish on Bridges. I think he's he's not going to digress this season. There's a chance he actually gets better, as crazy as that is. And boy, oh boy, is it going to be hard for Shaw to match that offer sheet um, in the summer if that is to happen. So it's a tricky situation right now. I would, if I were Mitch Kupchak and Michael Jordan, I would 
I would think long and hard about maybe biting a million, two million, three million more than I'd like to to keep this guy around. I think he's a super important piece to the Hornets' future. Totally agree. In terms of this team's success for the playoffs, I think that's the goal, obviously, for the team to make the playoffs. Whether or not we think that's going uh, to be the case or not is a, is a different question altogether. But if you were to pinpoint one or two players in terms of you know, this team's success depends on them. Who are those players? Who are these players that need to step up this year for the Hornets to make the playoffs? Yeah, you can say LaMelo. I mean, I don't think that's a bad answer by any means. I think Gordon Hayward and his health, like if he's healthy, you know, the team is going to do well. Rozier's shooting. Uh, Rozier's mid-range shot from last year. Is that something that's going to continue this year? But when I factor in all those things, and I think, Lee, you know my answer to this question I think it's PJ for me in terms of if he plays well, I think the Hornets will also play well. If, if everything else is, you know, the, the health is there, everything else is there. I think towards the end of last season, we saw a little bit more consistency with PJ. Uh, but there were points last year where I was just looking at him and he just, you know, missing bunnies, uh, inconsistent three-point shot at times for stretches. It almost felt like he was a non-factor up and down, up and down throughout the course of the season. Uh, there would be stretches where he'd have a great run, and we're like, oh, man, this is the P.J. that we missed from his rookie season. I wish he would put this all together for an 82-game season. I think he's going to have a big opportunity this year, uh, one, to play a little bit more minutes because of the center situation. He's going to play five like he did last year. Plumlee is the only other guy that I can see really playing significant minutes there. He's going to have a big opportunity to make improvements and strides at the rim, and we all know about his gravity with the pick and pop and, and pick and roll type of situation there. He's going to bend the defense there. So, you know, he, he's just got to stay out of foul trouble. He's got to rebound for his position. Um, and he's got to continue, like you said, Lee, with his rim protection and those weak side blocks. So he's the one guy that I'm kind of zeroing in on in terms of, okay, if he plays well, I think Hornets have a good shot of, of making the playoffs and even maybe making it as a higher seed than maybe many would expect. I think it's Gordon Hayward. I just think he's the tide that kind of rises all ships on this team. He's a stabilizer. Um, you know, I'm not optimistic that he's going to be out there 65 games this season, but I think if he could meet that benchmark, it would be super important to the to the, the win total uh, of this team. Um, you know, we were touching on the half-court offense, you know, a little bit ago uh, and how it might be a challenge this year uh, with the absence of Devontae Graham. I think if, if we can count on Gordon Hayward being available, he's the matchup hunter. He's going to stabilize half-court offense in situations where it dries up a little bit. I mean, I, I always think back. I mean, all Hornets fans will remember this game last year, the Atlanta game earlier in the season. Charlotte was off to a rocky start. It kind of felt like within the first 10 games that the must wasn't really a must win, but it felt like a must win. <laughs> And Hayward and LaMelo Ball just feasted off of that Trey Young high pick and roll, get it to Hayward at the nail and let him work. And mm-hmm. that guy can – look, he's getting old. He's not the same athlete he was. He's a defensive liability. But offensively, when you need a bucket, when the game slows down, he's the most important player on this roster. So I, I really think it's Hayward. Now, to that question, Spencer, are you concerned about him as a player when he's on the court or are you just more concerned about him being available? No, I'm, I'm just more concerned about Hayward just being available. Yeah, just 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 staying healthy enough. I mean, he he's obviously a guy that has enough nagging injuries. You can pretty much just count on him missing ten to twelve games. I would say just load management, I guess, quote unquote. But 
I really think if he avoids serious injury, not even serious injury, but, you know, intermediate injury this year that, like, really wouldn't keep him out of games and it's just a rest factor, I think that could be the difference of the Hornets being a 500 team and a, you know, a 35-win team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think if you gave the front office and the coaching staff truth serum and you told them that they could take a guaranteed 65 games – for Gordon Hayward, I think they would take that deal and wouldn't even think about it for a millisecond and risk the fact that maybe in an alternate universe he plays like 72 games. Like, I, I think they would, I think they might even take 60. Yeah. You know, go, do you agree, Spencer? Yeah, I do. No, I, I think, yeah, I kind of set the over under in my mind the other day. It was like 58 and a half. So, yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> I think that's a good Vegas number, honestly. Like, I, I would have to think long and hard about that. I, and, and I, you know, I agree. I, the Hayward, for all of those reasons, and also with the added fact that I think just by default, this kind of idea we've talked about of LaMelo being so counted on as a playmaker, I think the downstream effects of that is also an increased responsibility on Gordon Hayward as a playmaker because – he is very capable. Um, I think he's actually still probably even a little bit underrated as like an on-the-ball offensive connector um, and playmaker and 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 shot creator to Spencer's point late in games. Matchup hunting, getting to his spot. I mean, he had some massive moments late in games, particularly when Charlotte was kind of at their peak last year of, of you know, before the injuries and things kind of went downhill towards the end of the season. So – Although it seems like incredibly obvious, I think there's a bit more of kind of an interesting point there about Hayward. It's the it's the late game playmaking, um, and it's his increased responsibility now as him and Lamelo really, and then of course Ish as a backup. But like Gordon and Lamelo are really going to be probably eighty five percent of like our on ball playmaking. The only other thing I would mention in this conversation is like more of a more of a macro thing, I guess, than, than like a micro player thing. But like Ubre, McDaniels, Martin, Booknight, probably two of those guys we need to be like pretty good. So yeah. out of kind of that second unit-ish group, which of those wings can kind of like cement themselves as legitimate rotation players and not necessarily have to make Borrego – try this, try that, you know, flip-flop this guy, flip-flop that guy. Like, we need two of those guys to, like, be really good, just solid rotation guys that we can count on. And and that segues perfectly to my next question here. I I want each of us to come up with, like, an uncertainty or a question that we have about a specific player. Now, it can be rhetorical. Like, you don't have to have the answer for this question. So one question mark that I do have, and it's kind of what you were saying, Lee, How my question is about James Booknight. How quickly can he adjust to the NBA game and fill that backup two-guard position? Because, you know, I, I don't have that answer, and, and no one really does because we haven't seen him play enough games. And I think that's a thin position for Charlotte. And Monk will be missed, I, I think, more than we want to admit that. His playmaking, his rim finishing, his um, three-point shot actually came online last year. So I think Book Knight has some of those same qualities, kind of a combination of Malik Monk, but also Jeremy Lamb. Spencer has mentioned that 
comparison before the, with the way that he kind of pounds the rock a little bit. I know we're not going to see wholesale changes like I mentioned earlier, but there's going to be a time when he's going to be out there with the second unit. And is he going to be ball dominant and pounding the rock? Or is he going to be more of an off-ball mover, quick decision-making, you know, getting to the rim and stuff like that? So that's my one question mark that I have with this team. Uh, Spencer, what's that question mark or uncertainty that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good one. Um, you know, on the book night thing real quickly, I mean, I, I think he's got to be aggressive. I mean, again, he's going to have to be a scorer off the bench for this team. Uh, what we're going to ask him to do offensively is is certainly more than he probably should be asked at this point. You know, putting him in situations where he's got momentum going downhill. I really think, but he's good in the middle of the floor. He, he's a good finisher in the in the floater mid range area. You know, he, he appears to be a guy that's going to get to the line. Good finisher at the rim for his slight frame. So, you know, getting getting him coming off screens, going downhill, super important. You know, I think that. The rim protection, um, lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that that's probably my biggest concern with this team. Uh, the the piece that gives me most pessimism. Just teams aren't. Uh, Charlotte's just uh, once again not going to be able to keep teams teams away from the rim. Um, you know, are, are they going to be able to keep teams off the line? They were. I, you know, I was listening to Hollinger Pod yesterday. You know, the Charlotte was one of the luckiest teams. Uh, and free throw percentage last year, you know, it sounds like a small thing, but it's not when when you're a team with no rim protection and you gotta you gotta hack around the rim, you know, to stay alive. So, you know, will that continue? That that's just that's the defensive sev that, that there's just kind of no end in sight to. Um, and I think what gives me the biggest pause. I guess I'll kind of frame it this way, and we've we've kind of talked about this, but like when Lamelo is off the court. So essentially, just like non Lamelo ball minutes, whether that's whether that's rest, um, or whether that's foul trouble, um, or you know, knock on wood, whether that's injury. How does this Hornets team navigate creating efficient or even like league average offense with Lamelo ball off the floor? Um, I think we're all fairly optimistic and hopeful that Ish Smith can can be kind of a offensive organizer. Um, get the ball in the right spots, you know, at, at least create some decent shot attempts. But I think just, uh, you know, to, to to sound a bit like a broken record, you know, with Graham and Monk gone, um, where does the playmaking come from? Where does the offensive efficiency come from when you're not uh, leaning on your, your teenage star and when he's going to have to, you know, when he's going to have to be off the floor at times? So, I, you know, obviously the center minutes are going to be something we probably talk about ad nauseum this year. Um, and I think those those non-Lamello ball minutes are going to be really interesting to, mm-hmm. to see if the Hornets can manufacture ways not to just get crushed in those minutes. You know, defending bigger teams is going to be something that I think the Hornets are going to struggle with this year. And that includes like the rebounding as well um, and, and stopping paint, stopping the paint points in the paint feels like last year they really really focused on doing that and when lee and i did a post game pod on that that 68 point loss uh, we talked about all the switches that were taking place but they're gonna have to kind of give up or at least live with some of the switches because there are going to be times where they are over reliant on those switches especially when they have those like side to side or those sideline dhos and all that stuff so there are going to be times when they're matched up against bigger guys but 
if you are so hell-bent on stopping points in the paint, like, it's just going to lead to open three after open three. So it, it feels like they don't really, they're not really picking one or the other because it's like, okay, we'll switch, but then we'll send everyone at the switch, and then now you have open shots from behind the arc. So the defense thing is, like, I, I'm just a little bit worried about the defense I think at times last year, I felt like they overperformed. Like when I looked at the the statistics, where where they finish in defense, like 2021, something like that, like overall as a team, I thought that felt 21, 21, I believe. Okay. Did that not feel a little high to you guys at times, at least at times during last year? They were were actually 16th in defensive efficiency last year. Oh. Were they? Was that? Yeah. I guess based on what it was. I have it up right now. Uh, Is that NBA? I'm probably going off cleaning the glass. It was. It was NBA.com. So it could be a little. I don't think that that doesn't remove like uh, junk minutes. Junk time. Yeah. Yeah. Cleaning the glass does a little better job filtering it. So that might be a better representation. But yeah, 16 in terms of NBA advanced stats, 16th um, offensive and then and or sorry, 16th defensive and then offensive was like 21st or because because the offense just tail. It just dove uh, towards the end of the season. Remember taking garbage time out, cleaning glass had him at 20th, 113 and a half. Defensive range, probably so, about right. Whatever, split the difference. I mean, they right. they outkicked their coverage to your point, Richie. With and it was, <laughs> it was patched together. I mean, we've talked about how junky the defense was. Yes. I hope we see le- less of that this season. But I mean, there's another thing that's not talked about enough with Borrego. Now that I think he's got a few more. He's just got more tools in the toolbox to use defensively to just keep it cleaner, simpler, um, less matchup, less junk. Like, I do think there is – I think there's real potential for the Hornets to be better defensively this year. I've shared it on another podcast a few weeks ago. I think this team has, like, top – I think they have top 20 potential defensively. I think they could fall 15th to 20th in defense. And if we think that – these players we've talked about today can make those minor jumps offensively. The Lamelo Ball, Miles Bridges specifically. This is a league average team, then. Yeah, I think the goal has got to be kind of somewhere around that 17, 18 spot. I think it's doable with the personnel that they've added. Just having another season under the belt with a lot of these younger players. Yeah, I'm I'm semi confident they can kind of get up there, but I guess if you're looking at the NBA.com stats, they were already there. So we'll see. We'll see. In terms of like how this team finishes from like a macro point of view, what what would be the worst case scenario for you, Lee? Like in terms of, you know, where could this team bottom out at, would you say? Well, I think unfortunately, I mean unfortunately this team could miss the play in. Yep. I mean, I, I don't I, you know, that's 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 possible. I, I don't want to let myself believe that it's possible, but it is. It is certainly within the realm of possibility. I do think. I do think there would have to be some fairly significant injuries and miss time to, to key players for them to miss the play. And like, obviously, health is a major factor in every single NBA season. So it's a little ridiculous to try and parse that out, and um, and and I guess it's it's a bit redundant, but. Um, so, so worst case scenario would be this team completely misses the play in They're you know, 11th or 12th in the East. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think absolute worst case scenario would be one of those three bottom teams somehow finishes above the Charlotte Hornets, which hopefully cannot happen, but, but stranger things have happened, uh, in the NBA. Um, so, you know, injuries, um, some of our kind of, 
core young players that we're bullish on not advancing like we think they will. Um, Kelly Oubre and Mason Plumley just like not fitting in at all for mm-hmm. various reasons. There is a roadmap for this to be like a disastrous season. It's not my base case. Like I don't think that's the most probable outcome. Um, but unfortunately, you know, as a Charlotte Hornet fan, you've, you've got to prepare yourself for that reality. I guess in the long run, you know, this is still an incredibly young roster with, I, I would say moderate, like, like cap flexibility um, in the coming years. And so, so it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be a complete disaster if this team was in the lottery again. But, but I think particularly internally, um, they have much higher expectations. Yeah, I um, I think worst case scenario, you know, I'm not gonna injuries could always come into play, but that's just complete luck. I think worst case scenario is probably like 32 to 34 wins for this group. Um, you know, again, assuming health, as Lee said, it's the East is better, it's deeper, especially in the middle. Um, you know, it could keep them out of the play in. And then I would say the other worst case scenario is the Pelicans, uh, and it ain't looking good uh, so far with Zion. No, no timetable to return. That you know the Pels, we don't get that first round pick um, from them in, in the Graham deal. I mean that that would be kind of the double whammy that you look at. And you just kind of face palm it. Um, so I, I think this this team again, assuming health, I think they're deep enough. I think they're better defensively. I think they're more athletic. I think they know exactly what they want to do exactly how they want to play. Um, I, I, I guess we're going to wait on predictions, but I, I am pretty optimistic that that worst-case scenario is, is not going to come to fruition for me. Yeah, I don't think they're going to finish you know, 12th or 13th or something like that, but I guess it could happen. Injuries could derail the season once again, and the Hornets could be you know, down there. And to Lee's point, maybe the veterans come in and they don't, they don't mesh with the team. They don't have that desired impact that they're filling these shoes of Devontae Graham and, and Cody Zeller, and they just don't live up to those expectations. Maybe the defense gets worse, or there's just some kind of like underachievement in general, and this team finishes like 12th. I, I could see that happening, but it's definitely not my prediction. Let's flip it over, not to our prediction, but what's like the best case scenario for this team? Like, where could they finish in the East if? You know, everything went right. Luck was on their side. Maybe some other teams were unlucky. Uh, maybe LaMelo plays like an all-star. P.J. Washington makes that jump. Book Knight has that seamless transition as a rookie. Do you guys think that they can make it like, you know, not make the playoffs but not even have to worry about the play-in, like six, six spot in the East? Is that possible? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I, I think like the high-water mark for this squad and, it, you know, all those – possible outcomes you just laid out Richie if those things happen you know this is a 45-ish win team I think I mean I think that's their ceiling they don't have a real wide range I mean I really do think it's like 32 to 45 46 you know it's not it's not one of the wider ranges about outcomes uh in the NBA but yeah I mean I think this team could finish seventh in the east probably I I, you know New York I still think is better than they are and then I think there's a, a consensus top six that we don't have to run down in the east um, I, I, New York's the team that maybe they could jump, uh, but I, I, eighth is probably the realistic spot Charlotte could fall. Um, and it might take 45 wins in the East to finish eighth this year. It really might. Like, that's how strong uh, yeah. the conference is. So, But, yeah, I think that's probably best-case scenario. Yeah, I, I would say um, 
I, I would say, you know, best case scenario. And really, I think best case scenario hinges on LaMelo ball. Like if you're looking half glass full, it's all those things you said, Richie. And it's, and it's mainly LaMelo ball making the second year jump that you typically, not always, but you typically see in like bona fide superstars, like a Luca esque second year jump. I, <laughs> I actually looked um, or talked with someone about this. Luca's rookie season, the Mavericks were like 23rd in offensive rating. In Luca's second season, the Mavericks were first in offensive rating. Like that's how unbelievably ridiculous his second year jump was. So that's a historical outlier. That is not something that is likely to happen. But even like just, you know, 80 to 85% of, of that type of second year jump for LaMelo because of the unique playmaker that he is and kind of the, the interesting tools around him, you could see a situation where somehow this team just makes a massive jump kind of into the, into the middle of the East. I agree. There's obviously a, a consensus top six. I think New York is the one candidate to fall back down. I agree with all that. But – that that's what it is. It's it's like this massive superstar level jump for Lamelo Ball in year two, which would just I mean, Hornets Twitter would be euphoric if you know something like that comes to fruition. So we'll. See. It's funny. I don't I don't have a consensus top six in the East. I have a consensus top five, but I don't I don't I don't include New York in that top that top six for me. Well. What, you yeah, I them? Need, let's let's well now that you brought it up. Well, you, I want to know who you're leaving out. Are you leaving out Boston? No, no, no. Boston's Boston's my. I have Bucks, Hawks, Seventy uh, Sixers, Nets, Heat. Those are my five. My top five. Hmm. Sorry, I'm pulling. So you are. So you don't yeah. have any. You don't have Indiana in there, or this, or the Celtics. Uh, but I that. To me, like six. That's years, the one. It's the, it's Boston. Boston's it's Boston. the one that you're or, that you're leaving oh, out there. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, yeah, Boston struggled at times last year. I mean, depends on what you think of kind of their offseason, I guess. But I have yeah, them at I six. Like, I have them at six, guys, but I, it's not a consensus for me. Like, I'm not, no, like, okay, confident sure. that they're the six team, if that makes any sense. Yep. Yep. I think that's – I would have Boston in there. I think that's where the real divider line yeah. is. Then you got Charlotte, Indiana, New York, um, Washington. It's probably the next tier down, you know, Toronto. So – yeah, it's I mean, interesting. To be, I fair, like you know, to be fair, Boston was thirty six and thirty six last year. So you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Granted, they, granted, they had some some major injuries too, though. So yeah. All right, so let's actually give our prediction for the Hornets. You can give a win total. You can give an Eastern Conference standing. I'll go ahead and go get this out of the way for me. Like we had our range. Like it could be anywhere from you know six to twelve, depending on luck and everything like that. I'm actually going to say that they finish eighth in the East. And I actually have them at 40 and 42. So Spencer, you talked about like, you know, maybe the eighth place team having more wins than that. I also think because the East is more stacked this year, top to bottom, like you're going to have like a bunch near that six, seven, eight, nine spot where teams yeah, are just, just attrition. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, just like trading wins type of thing. So yeah. that could be completely off in terms of the win total for that eighth place team. But I'll say Hornets finish eighth in the regular season with a 40 and 42 record. Yeah, I have. So I was at 500 exactly. I, I, I predicted 41 and 41 um, on the record a few weeks ago. I think going through preseason, seeing the bench, kind of understanding how much of a struggle that's going to be from an offensive perspective. 
Um, I, I'm bumped it down to 40. I'm right with you now, Richie. I'm probably even leaning more into 39 at, <laughs> at, <laughs> on, on Wednesday at noon when I kind of make my final prediction. So, yeah, I, I have the Hornets at ninth in the East. Uh, I still think Indiana and New York and you know these teams are, are they're better that they have more room. I think for for things to go wrong, maybe from an injury perspective, they just got more horses than, than Charlotte at the end of the day. So I got Charlotte 40, 40 and forty two ninth in the East. So back in the play in. All right, why not? I'm going seventh in the East, forty three and thirty nine. That's good. Um, let's just let's just yeah let's just lean into the narrative, you know. Uh, Let's let's okay. Look, I mean, Borrego has he's exceeded he's exceeded his Vegas win total every year that he's been in Charlotte. Um, I'm gonna just I'm gonna lean into the fact that everything goes right and that some teams around us slip a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I don't think seventh is like a moonshot by any means, but right. it, it's it's on the higher end of the range of of uh, optimistic uh, finishes. So uh, yeah, I'll, why not? I'll go for it. And for the record, I believe, as I'm looking this up right now, we all went over because yes. I believe the Hornets over under is 38 and a half. I'm actually pulling it up right now. Uh, yeah, it's 38 and a half. So we all go over. We're all over, baby. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I think that wraps our conversation here, unless you guys have anything to add before the regular season starts. I mentioned this on the previous pod, but look for more episodes out of us this year. Although it may just come out of an inconsistent type of daily basis, I know that last year we always used to release on a Wednesday, but I, I like the idea of releasing more episodes, but just kind of when they come and, and when there's topics that come about. So just keep your eyes peeled in your podcast feeds. Keep your eyes peeled on BuzzBeat on Twitter at BuzzBeatPod. Check that timeline for Spencer and for Lee. I'm Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.